from AATH, the Association for Applied and Therapeutic Humor. This is LaughBox, the podcast for laughter and humor professionals. Here's your host, Chip Lutz. Hey, friends. Big question today. Are you happy? And I'm not talking about with your laundry detergent or with the drink sitting in front of you. I'm just talking about in general. Are you happy? Well, you're in luck today because I got a happiness expert willing to spend a little time with us, talk about happiness, talk about what you can do to make yourself more or less happy. I get to talk to Dr. Kristen Leis. She is an assistant professor at the uh, of psychology at the California State University. Um, she's done some, you know, great research, and she's going to share her entire huge brain with us today. Welcome, Kristen, to (laughs) to the show. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm excited to be here. Now, look at it. Well, how did you get your first, you know, like, I want to know about happiness. How did you, I mean, obviously you got your doctorate. You've done a lot of research in there. I mean, where did that all start for you? Sure. So actually, I've always been interested, you know, very generically in helping people. So I started out by doing um, various things in education. I became a career counselor for a couple years. And that was right during the big financial downturn, 2008, 2009. And so I started going to various trainings on how to better help my students get in a positive mindset about their job search, because I just noticed a lot of people were just stuck, whereas other students were really still doing the best that they could with what they had and the opportunities they had out there. Mm-hmm. So some of those trainings that was really trying to get my students into the positive mindset and just kind of like, okay, where we are and then moving forward, they had to do with um, this sort of new burgeoning field called positive psychology, which really tried to help people focus on their strengths and, and focus on you know living um, a life worth living, happiness and character strengths and virtues. And so... I went to Borders, um, you know, rest in peace, the retail stores, and I got a bunch of um, different books on happiness, and one of those had uh, was The How of Happiness by Sonia Lubomirsky. I got really into her book. I started getting really stimulated by different research questions I could ask, and then despite having, you know, a, a career going on, I decided to do a little pivot and um, go back to school for five years to study with her and to ask questions of happiness that I think, you know, not only permeate issues like job searching, but permeate all other aspects of our lives as well. That is really cool. I mean, the, you're just like, you already have a career and you're just like, you know what? I dig this stuff. I'm just going to, I'm going to drop everything. I'm going to go back to school. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah, it was a hard decision. I'm sure it was. <laughs> um, but I tell my students about it a lot now because I feel like they, all my students currently, you know, when you're an undergrad um, or other stages of life, you think that you have to make this one decision about your career and that's going to stick for the rest of your life. But I try to tell them that it's not linear or at least that's like my post hoc reconciliation about what I did. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. Now, thinking about our society, I mean, I look at our societies, we're kind of, you know, bent or, you know, we're really focused on being happy, but it seems like oh, there's so many unhappy people in the world. I mean, all you have to do is like pop over Facebook and there's people are so angry and there's so much to decisiveness uh, or divisiveness. So why do you think that we're so focused on, you know, being happy? 
Sure. Well, I think I think it's definitely more of a Western notion than it is an Eastern notion. And, you know, it's even integral to the very first lines of our Declaration of Independence that we have this right to pursue happiness. And I think Westerners especially, they think always, you know, we could um, be, we could be bigger, we could be better, we could be happier. And there's a real focus on that sort of high intensity positive emotions and maybe if we're not experiencing it in our day-to-day -day, we're wondering why in forums like Facebook um, let us see everybody else's very happiest moments and then compare that to ourselves sitting at home looking at our computer at other people's happiest moments and it can really you know undermine our well-being um, other cultures um, especially Eastern cultures I don't think they have as much of a focus on happiness or at least not that high intensity joy that we focus focus on a lot of times in the US. Um, they focus more on kind of a balance between positive and negative and um, contentment, which I think, you know, a lot of people in the US could really um, learn from. And, you know, there's all different kinds of positive emotions, so we don't always have to be seeking that high. Sitting at home with a cup of tea can be just as great for our well-being as, you know, an exhilarating ride at an amusement park. Right, unless you're looking at other people's happiness on Facebook. And you're right. Because <laughs> you know, nobody ever posts pictures on Facebook of you know uh, their 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 crappy moments. It's always like, oh, the streets are lined with gold. This is all awesome. And then right. sitting at home is like, oh, I hate that person. They're so happy. They have everything so great. When actually, their their life is probably in the toilet as well. Right, or not in the <laughs> toilet, but at least not extraordinary every day. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, in, in going back to the book that you know was your pivot point, The How Happiness, a great book. It's mm -hmm. a book that I refer to people all the time. Some of the things that I thought were really interesting in there is that you not all uh, uh, that, you know, part of our overall disposition towards life is genetic. I mean, we get it from our mom and dad. Can you mm -hmm. expound on that a little bit? Sure. Um, yeah, so the How of Happiness does a really good job of laying this out um, as far as kind of a, if you think about your, your happiness or individual differences in happiness across the population that's coming from different sources. And, uh, and about half of that, you know, through various studies, um, a, about half, it's super approximate because it depends on who you're studying, um, about half of that happiness is believed to be genetically based. Mm -hmm. And, you know, some people take that to be a little bit discouraging, um, but actually, you know, in the book and through other research, we've really seen that people can change their happiness. You know, about 50% of, of happiness might be due to genetics, but that still leaves a large proportion of happiness that's due to other things. And if we look at what those, you know, quote unquote, other things are, those are things that we can change. So there's really, you know, quite a bit of room, despite perhaps some genetic predispositions for people to really take control of their happiness or at least make small changes that may um, sustainably increase their happiness. So where there is a genetic component, it's not determinative and, you know, there's still a lot of room for, um, for change. So if you're really you know, unhappy, I mean, your parents screwed you. I mean, you can just be like, you know, write them a letter and say, dear mom and dad, um, thanks for screwing up my life. Just write them a little letter like that. How much does it, because a lot of times we're so focused on the, the circumstances that we're in that, you know, we've got, say, you know, your, your wife's been cheating on you or, you know, you have a bankruptcy or something else. You have, you know, this crap that's in your life. I mean, how much does that play into 
the overall, you know, your overall viewpoint? Sure. So, um, so across the research, across a variety of circumstances, what what researchers tend to find is anywhere from like seven to fifteen percent of people's happiness is likely determined by these life circumstances. So that is actually not as much as many people expect. Um, a lot of people expect that you know how much money they make, or maybe you know whether they're a girl or a boy, or where they live might affect their happiness quite a bit. Mm -hmm. And it does to a certain degree, but humans are extremely resilient. We have this, um, you know, some people call it a psychological immune system, whereby we, we do adapt to, to both negative and positive circumstances. So those favorable circumstances in our lives, they don't necessarily give us that long-lasting boost that we might expect them to. And, you know, similarly, thankfully, those really negative circumstances, they don't sustainably keep us down as much as you might you might think. Now, you mentioned something like bankruptcy and divorce, and, and those hurts can last a long time. Mm -hmm. um, but there's also ways in which we can kind of uh, I guess buffer their effect on us um, through various practices like trying to focus our mind on, on the positive in our lives, trying to express gratitude for what we do have. So maybe instead of writing that letter to your parents for screwing you up, you write a letter to <laughs> a mentor that really helped you get through a difficult time. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. I'm luckier than most. I mean, I, I, I've got a pretty good disposition uh, for the most part, but mm -hmm. you know, it's that, you know, if we round it, you know, you said seven to 15% are circumstances. If we round that to, you know, like 10%, it's that 10% mm -hmm. that we tend to focus on more than anything. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we're resilient, but you know, we're in the mire on that. That's you know, we, we're like, Oh, this sucks so bad. I mean, just, mm -hmm. just it, and, I, is that inherent to human nature that we're just, you know, focused on that, you know, on our circumstances like that? Is that just part of who we are? Yeah, I mean, in general, like kind of evolutionary, uh, evolutionarily speaking, um, we are trained to focus on the negative because that is sort of an immediate risk to our survival if you want to really take it back to, <laughs> to evolutionary theory. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, nowadays our bad might really not be a, a matter of life or death. It might be that we're sitting in traffic and that really sucks for us in the moment. Right. Um, but that can still get our stress response going really, really badly. Um, so that's why a lot of people practice something called like mindfulness, really trying to kind of stay in the moment and really not evaluate our situation necessarily in the moment as to where we're not saying, oh, this traffic is terrible and I'm never going to get home, but we're just saying, you know, okay, we're in the moment, we're in traffic, I'm not going to evaluate it as terrible, I'm just going to sit here because this is what I can do right now in the moment. So. Yes, I think we are, you know, in general, we're tuned into negative things that are going into our lives because they require immediate attention. Now, that said, um, in general, people do have what's called a positivity offset. Like if we gave everybody across America a happiness scale on a scale from one to seven, um, you know, on average, people would rate above, above the middle. So despite having this attention to negativity because we need to, um, we also are fairly positive overall. And then um, the last thing I wanted to say about that is you mentioned a good point about your own disposition toward kind of positivity. Now, other people may not have that disposition to sort of see the positive in their world, you know, at the, in, in the moment, you know, we are walking down the road. Some people see, um, 
the smog and other people see like that pretty tree. Mm-hmm. Well, you can try to retrain your brain, despite the fact that you may have a predisposition toward one or the other. You can try to retrain your brain by really actively seeking the positive and noticing the positive. Because, you know, there's always positive out there. There's always negative out there. So you can try to refocus. All right. So I'm luckier than some. Mm-hmm. But it's still, I mean, when circumstances are circumstances, sometimes, you know, I, 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 you know looking at that, you know, that remaining 40% that mm-hmm. is out there, things that I can do to either make myself more or less happy. Mm-hmm. You know, let's get to the positive in just in a minute as far as the um, – things that we can do to make ourselves more happy but what are some of the things people do to make themselves less happy that's got to be part of I would think some is that part of your research do you look at some of the things some of the things people do to that just like that is so self-destructive you are definitely never going to get out of this pit yes absolutely so um there's a ton of research on rumination um, which in the literature, I mean, we all kind of know the lay reason of rumination, which is like uh, repetitive thought. And in the um, in the literature, it's really repetitive thought that's focused on um, the negative things going on in your life or your negative feelings, and uh, without any active way to um, to get a solution. Mm-hmm. So really, just you know, wallowing and dwelling in your in your thoughts. Um, so any negative situation that's happening in your life that's causing you distress, imagine replaying that for yourself over and over and over again. <laughs> it's, it's a major predictor of depression, and um, it happens more in, for women than it does for men. Men are more really? prone to distract themselves. So it explains um, part of the difference why you know, women um, have higher rates of depression than, than men do. Um, so rumination is huge, and then the second big one that I wanted to mention was uh, social comparison. Um, we you, we can always find someone who's doing you know conceivably better than you in your life in some way. Right. Um, and like we talked about earlier, social media um, uh, it makes that in your face. <laughs> Um, so social comparison is a major, um, deterrent to happiness because if we're constantly, you know, rising our aspirations of what we view to be successful based on these comparisons, um, then we we may not be satisfied with what we have. That's a really good point because going back just the social, the social media part, I mean, a lot of times we're on our phones all the time. We're looking at all these other things. And then we got the negative, the, the rumination added to that. You know, when I ruminate, I tend to have conversations in my head, but my lips move when I do it. So I'll be having an argument in my head with somebody that's not really there. But you don't look, you don't look as crazy doing that. Well, that's how most rumination happened. Yeah. You don't look as, you don't look as crazy when you've got your Bluetooth speaker in your ear. I'm just saying. Otherwise, you just look like the crazy person walking down the street having a talk with yourself, which actually did happen to me. I was uh, when I was stationed in Washington D.C. I was, having, you know, I was getting ready for this big meeting. I was going through the conversation in my head, and I, I didn't realize my lips were, were moving in the conversation. And so, when I got up to the main office, one of my the guys that worked for me said, oh, "Hey, Lieutenant, I saw you." walking up the streets, hey, uh, you were talking to somebody, but nobody was there. And I was like, dang it, why didn't I have that Bluetooth in? (laughs) (laughs) You you weren't supposed to see that. (laughs) Exactly. 
you should have, you should have been inside my head. It was crazy in there. So, you know, so those are two big things that people do to, you know, obviously kind of uh, torpedo themselves in their overall outlook on life. What, what are some, the, the big things that people can do, some strategies people can use to, you know, shore up that 40% where they've got a better disposition. They, they're in essence making themselves a little more happy. Sure. Um, so kind of coupling with, with rumination is um, an inherent self-focus. Like we're, think we're very aware of ourselves and, and you know, maybe how we are or aren't living up to our expectations. Um, so one thing that's a common theme in a lot of these, we, we call them positive activities. They're basically simple, brief activities that you can do to increase your happiness. So one thing that sort of underlies a lot of them is actively trying to focus on other people. Mm-hmm. So we've run a lot of like randomized controlled studies in which we, we randomly assign people to perform acts of kindness once a week. Um, and we see, you know, boost in well-being over time um, compared to a control group. Um, another thing that we do um, is we have people express gratitude. Um, so that could be in the form of a letter that doesn't even have to get delivered because there can be social anxiety in, in delivering a gratitude letter. But just that get, it gets written and kind of um, focuses your attention on the good people in your life that really have helped you out. Um, another way of expressing gratitude is just maybe in a journal. Um, you could keep a journal by your bed, write a few things that went well that day um, before you go to sleep and kind of putting yourself in a nice positive mind frame before you go to bed. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a coworkers that actually set a reminder on her phone just at a time of day that she knew was a little low for her, you know, afternoon. And um, it just primed her to say, think about three good things in your life. Um, so I thought that was kind of cool too. And it can be done on the run. Um, kind of a couple iterations of that similar thing. We just asked, uh, we randomly assigned people to focus on the happiness of other people and making one other person in their life happier. Mm-hmm. Um, so kind of like acts of kindness, but really focusing in on a relationship in your life. Um, and that actually was more effective in increasing happiness than focusing actively on your own happiness. So which, there's which, a theme also, in this. Which also yeah, go ahead. Be- which also could improve your, your marriage as well. If you think about wake up in the morning, instead of thinking about all the stuff that your spouse didn't do the day before, you think, you know, what can I do to make, you know, you know, my spouse's day a little bit better today? Yeah, that's a great point. And it, it sets, there's research about this, that it sets off a positive feedback loop. You know, say you do something for your spouse, they feel more grateful. You're more inclined then to do it again because you were, you know, they were responsive to your needs and then they're more inclined to do that as well. So you're really, you know, setting off a positive feedback loop of helping and gratitude in your relationship. Which uh, I hear you saying is that your house is kind of like a Skinner box in that re- in that regard. <laughs> you know, actually, my husband is so happy. Like I, I, I just have to like kind of learn from some things that he does because I think he's one of those people who is really naturally prone to focus on the positive. And to be honest, sometimes it's annoying. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. The, 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 doc, the happiness doctor gets annoyed by the happy person. That is, right. that is, that is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> then you wake up in the morning, you're like, he's already got his coffee, he's in a good mood, and you're like, what the hell are you so happy about? 
<laughs> oh, he absolutely does. But you know, the the good part about that is that I don't have to make my own coffee in the morning. <laughs> it's always ready. <laughs> That's awesome. That is beautiful. So you're saying, you know, gratitude because there can be some anxiety on, you know, if you send that gratitude letter, you know, you writing it out is one thing, getting it all out there, send it. I can imagine there could be a little bit of anxiety because you might be wondering, you know, hopefully, I wonder if this person is going to receive it, how they're going to receive it. Is the message going to be received the same way I intended it? You know, so there, I, I can imagine there could be a little anxiety in there. So that's a good point on looking at just, you know, getting it out there and expressing it and thinking about what that person might've done for you. Um, I would go ahead and send it because I would just, you know, again, I would be looking for the loop. I'm going to send this and they're going to be so happy. They're going to give me a call back. It'll be almost like self-serving in a way. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, definitely, um, I mean, that's all right, <laughs> but definitely like, I think that there is power in that, especially if it, if it goes well. And when I say, you know, you don't have to send it, we do that primarily for research reasons because we don't want sort of that extra noise is as far as like, oh, did the did the sending go well or did it not go well as expected? We just want kind of that pure positivity when we're studying it. It gets a little noisy when you have to, um, you know, control for all, everybody's different interactions with that. <laughs> Absolutely. Now, you mentioned when you're sitting in traffic instead of being, uh, is, and you mentioned mindfulness. I assume that's a strategy as well. Yeah, mindfulness is um, definitely a strategy that people, especially mindfulness meditation, that people use to um, improve well-being. I don't typically consider it a happiness-increasing activity necessarily because it's um, not necessarily focused on upregulating your positive emotions. It's it's kind of focused on um, sort of just not not immediate reactivity to what's going on in your surroundings. Mm -hmm. um, it does have the the outcome of of um, improving well-being, um, but when I think of positive activities, I, I think about that really, you know, focus on increasing the positivity in your life, not necessarily decreasing the negativity, although it does have that byproduct. Right, so it kind of just helps you ste uh, step out of the stress spiral for a minute. Right. Okay, all right. That I makes like that term. <laughs> that, that's why I, I look at the like having a negative brain or a positive brain that sometimes we're in that negativity spiral. That's all you see, you know, mm -hmm. and then, you know, you have the negative thoughts and you just, everything sucks, you know, people suck. And then usually your behavior it follows suit because you're already thinking like that. Like a lot of times I'll think to myself, you know, cause I'll be having those conversations in my head, ruminating about a bad situation. But mm -hmm. when I go to converse with the person about it, I'll, I'll actually tell myself, all right, Chip, don't be an ass. Don't be an ass. Don't be an ass. Mm -hmm. But then, I've been in a negativity spiral. I end up being an ass. So <laughs> it's, maybe I should ruminate about it in a little more positive light. <laughs> yeah, actually, I'm glad you brought that up because, you know, when you replay the negative in your mind, it's, it's bad. But uh, replaying the positive moments in your life is, is very good. <laughs> you basically get more mileage out of them. Not only are you happy in the moment, but you're happy when you're reflecting upon them. So that's a good stretch. So you're saying that, you know, thinking about or whether it's you know, being grateful for that thing or just kind of reliving that moment in your life is something that can also help with your overall disposition, your overall happiness. Right. Exactly. Because it's, it's, um, 
yeah, re replaying the positive moments in your life. Um, and one thing about that, though, is that you don't want to analyze them. You don't want to know why they happened um, because it takes some of the magic away. <laughs> so it's, like, good to feel lucky. Like, it just, like, fate all came together for you. Where on the flip side, when negative things happen in your life, it's better to analyze them. You kind of want to have some causal insight into why they happened, and that makes you feel better. With positive, you don't you you want to replay them, but you don't want to analyze them. That's that's something. I'm glad you brought that up because that's something I wanted to ask you about. As far as looking at you know Victor Frankl's work and finding meaning in some of the trials and tribulations, and mm -hmm. finding the meaning in that can. Uh, you know, is finding the meaning different from, you know, finding happiness or does it contribute? How does that, how does that fit in? Right. So, so finding meaning in negative experiences, I think that would benefit from that sort of causal insight and analysis. Like how did you grow from that experience? Um, and whereas po with positive moments, you, you don't necessarily want to give them as much of that analytical attention because it takes away. Um, but kind of a separate question on that is like, what is the relationship between like happiness and meaning? You know, a lot of people kind of look at the pursuit of happiness as frivolous, whereas the pursuit of meaning has depth. Um, and I just, I think that the, the two go hand in hand and there's tons of studies now that show if you measure someone who has, if you measure, um, you know, people's meaning in life and you measure their happiness, they relate to one another at such a high level that they're sort of empirically indistinguishable, um, from one another. So a life with meaning is a happy life and vice versa. And of course, there are those rare instances that people are going to point to to say, you know, maybe those people who are really grinding it out uh, for so their kids can go to college, and that's a life worth meaning, but without a lot of positive emotions. And and that may be true, you know, in the moment. There may be certain instances where people are feeling kind of terrible, but doing something meaningful. Mm -hmm. But I would argue that maybe that's short-lived. Um, for a certain period of one's life and then looking back that will give them positivity as well. Um, but for the most part, happiness and meaning are, are very overlapping. Interesting. Cause I was thinking about that before our conversation today, cause I just read an article on reader's digest about, you know, Victor Franklin meaning and, you know, mm -hmm. and in an undergrad class I teach, we, we, we go through, you know, his book, man's search for meaning. And I was just like, mm -hmm. what, how does it all play in together? That, and I love the way you just put that together for me. That was like a mic drop moment for me. Thank you. <laughs> oh, thank you. I'm sure there's people who would still disagree with me, but um, you know, the, the correlations don't lie. <laughs> well, those people, those people aren't on the call, so they'll, they'll, have, to, right. they'll just have to ruminate by themselves. Right. <laughs> so from everything I hear you saying is that it, we can pursue happiness, but it's not really a pursuit more than it is just like a practice. Mm -hmm. We have to practice in our lives every day and that, you know, being mindful, not, you know, mindful like, being in the moment, but being mindful mm -hmm. as far as like your friend that, you know, put the reminder in her phone to, you know, mm -hmm. be grateful every day. That's, that's something that we actually have to do every day. 
Right. I mean, I mean, unfortunately for some, it's harder for them than others. So like you mentioned being kind of more attuned to, to positive things. And so some people don't need to be reminded gratitude's just part of their life. They can see the good in it and, and that reinforces their happiness. Mm -hmm. And that's part of that dispositional predisposition toward happiness. Some people already engage in these quote activities of happy people. And that's why they're naturally happier than other people. For some people, it's going to feel more like work and, and uh, for a while, and then maybe it will become habitual. I feel like we need more and more research on how this will play out over time for people who, you know, maybe don't inherently look toward the positive, but then are, are trained or actively practiced. And, and can that become habitual for them as to where they look just like that person who is naturally happy? I think that's an open research question that people are working toward right now, and we need more like longitudinal studies to to bear that out uh, but I view it and um, you know Sonia talks about this a little bit in our book too. the how happiness it, you have to kind of think about it like weight you know you don't go to the gym once and become your goal weight um, and you don't just diet for one day and become your goal weight it, it's really something that has to be you know practiced over time continuously Man, you just ruined my diet. I was like, man, I just—I grew up a fat kid, so I've been—I I know about diets. But it's funny because, like, on a diet, it's like that. Oh man, I'm gonna get on the scale the next day, and you—you're just like, ah, oh, nothing happened. I'm gonna have a donut. So, right. Well, actually, I'm glad you brought that up because I think positive in in that way, positive activities would be different because you do get that immediate boost. Um, you just might not be, you know, tr like immediately trained to have that be your your response. Well, okay, you said boost. So, what is that boost? I mean, is there something like neurologically that happens? What What is that boost? Right. Um, so, like behaviorally, what you would notice is some type of positive. Like maybe a warm feeling in your chest, um, a feeling of either either contentment or maybe joy or gratitude. There's a variety of different positive emotions. So depending on what you do, um, you could feel any one of those, and it would have you know uh, positive benefits. And neurologically, we usually think of happiness as activating um, your reward-related circuitry. Um, which would be similar to what happens when you like win an award or you have, um, you know, you see money, honestly, in the fMRI machine. That's usually how they activate the reward related circuitry or you eat chocolate or something like that. Those same types of responses are, are what's happening in all of those sort of positive types of moments. Okay. That makes sense. Now, one concept that um, I watched, uh, I think it was a TED video of, uh, Dr. Uh, Marty uh, Martin Seligman, and, mm -hmm. and he talked about this concept of flow. Mm -hmm. Can you speak to that a little bit? Sure. Yeah. So flow is uh, an experience in which um, you are just totally engulfed in the moment. People call it self-transcendent because you're not thinking about yourself. You're not focused on yourself. You're focused on the task at hand, and it's supposed to come into play when um, an activity has um, the right amount of, of challenge uh, for you to meet your skill set. 
So when you're at that perfect level, you can get totally engaged in it. You know, people get engaged in flow in conversation, like a really great conversation, or people get engaged in flow in video games or some work-related tasks too, mm -hmm. um, and where you're just completely in the moment and really not aware of yourself, and hours can pass by with you not being aware of time. That's uh, an interesting concept because there are certain things that I do that as an independent business person bring new value to my business, but I can spend an entire day doing it. And then at the end, mm -hmm. I'm like, look what I have created. Ha ha ha. Man, <laughs> awesome. And I'm like, and then a friend of mine will be like, well, that's great. How are you going to use that in your business? I'll be like, well, I don't really give a shit about that. I was just having fun doing what I was doing. <laughs> the entire day went by. Um, but it also speaks to me as far as like, as a supervisor in a workplace, you know, trying to fit people to kind of their giftings where it is the right challenge level. It's something they like to do and mm -hmm. they're gonna be a little more engaged in the process and, and hopefully a little bit happier in what they're doing at work. Right, absolutely. And like in the moment, you're not you're not aware of yourself. So like in the moment, if I were to beep you and ask you to report your positivity, you probably well, you'd probably be annoyed by the interruption, but it wouldn't necessarily be positive in the moment. But upon reflection, it feels really great that you were just so engaged in that moment. And so overall, it's kind of a sign of an engaged life, you know, maybe, you know, related to kind of meaning in what you're doing. Mm -hmm. And so it does feel good to go into those episodes rather than, you know, being distracted a lot. And um, you can really set the stage for flow or you can set the stage to undermine flow. So I think our smartphones are really terrible for flow because we're not only getting like text messages, but some people have it set to get their email notifications and their social network notifications. And how are you really going to get in flow when all that stuff is happening? Like right. when I'm doing some writing or something, I just have to put my... I, I don't have kids, so I'm not worried about like where they are or if they're trying to contact me. And so I can just put my phone, you know, downside so I don't even see the lights because <laughs> it's so distracting. It is. That's, that's funny. Yeah, I don't want to have to worry about where my kids are. I just want to be in front. <laughs> I'm going to tell my four kids that. I like, don't bother. Oh, you have four kids. <laughs> I do. They're all grown. I mean, they're probably not too much. Well, yeah, my eldest is 25, so probably not too much younger than you. But um, yeah, I'm 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 older. So anyway, now, <laughs> yeah, what are you currently working on? What's your your big projects? I know as a professor, you're you're constantly researching things. What's something current that you're working on that you're like super stoked about that you're in flow on? Yeah. Um, okay. So lately, I've been interested in. Um, Nostalgia. I think it's it's super interesting. It is, you know, those sort of twangs of um, bittersweet, and I'm interested in not only like how that how reminiscing on your past might bring positivity, but also how that sense of connection with who you were in the past might also lead you to feel sort of more humble. And I mean humble in the sense of like not not humiliated or small, but like hey, I'm a person with strengths and weaknesses, and other people are too, and um, I have a sense of personal worth, but it's not inflated because it doesn't have to be. Um, so I'm really interested in that sort of, you know, a different different ways of looking at positivity. 
Um, a second thing I'm interested in is, you know, when people do experience adversity, what allows them to grow after that experience? Mm -hmm. And so far, I've run a couple of lab studies with my collaborator, Katie Nelson Coffey, about, you know, if you induce people to feel lonely, which is kind of a, a mean manipulation, <laughs> but then you give them social support, they'll report more. Um, meaning and gratitude after having gone through that negative experience but then receiving social support and we would love to see that play out in a longitudinal way too by which when people go through poor experiences if they have positive people around them and feel that support they will get better after that negative experience rather than worse two things one a, a, what thinking about nostalgia mm -hmm. That makes complete sense to me because, you know, having spent 22 years in the Navy, I, you know, I had a good career. I had a lot of different things. And a, a lot of times as an independent business person, you have ebbs and flows on business. You know, sometimes it's mm -hmm. great, sometimes it's not. But when it's not, you know, I'll take a, I'll, I'll walk down memory lane of all the things that I accomplished and be like, you know what, you know, these are the things that I did. I still have that within me. You know, I can trudge mm -hmm. through this. That's a, a, a good, um, to me, almost kind of like thinking about something, you know, positive in your life, but, you know, thinking nostalgically of the things that you've, you've accomplished, you know, I, I went from here to here. These are things I was able to make through, uh, make it through. I can make it through these things here as, as well. That's, that's a really, I'll be interested to read that. Hopefully that'll be, um, an awesome book that you write. Oh, I don't know about that, but um, I, that's that's like I, I gave you the the very very most recent thing, so it'll be like months and months and months. But thank you. <laughs> and the second thing I'm curious is how do you make people feel lonely? I mean, do you lock them in a room and you don't talk to them for days? I mean, what the hell is that about? That is mean. I know. I felt really mean about it. Um, <laughs> the manipulation is actually pretty simple. It, it's just a scale, and um, the people who are in the lonely condition, they get a scale with items that almost anyone would endorse like you know sometimes um, sometimes I feel lonely um, sometimes I feel um, you know like I, I don't have anyone to talk to so it's framed in like a sometimes way and then after they take the scale almost everybody would endorse those items and after they take the scale we tell them that we did these tabulations and that they were you know, say in the 62nd percentile of loneliness, meaning they were above average in loneliness. Whereas the people who are in the non-lonely condition, they get um, items that would be harder to endorse, like I always feel lonely or I never have anyone I can talk to. Mm -hmm. And then we tell them that they were in, um, you know, the lower percentiles of loneliness. Um, wow. So it's pretty simple manipulation, but people are so sensitive to social rejection that it does work. Like people, because we're such a, you know, a pack as humans, we, we want to belong so badly or we need to belong. We're very attuned to any signs of social rejection. That um, is interesting. Because I was thinking that you would just go up to them and just start being mean to them. Like, you know, hey, you suck. You got no friends. Everybody hates right. you. Everybody hates you. Um, but you bring up something there as far as that we're such a, a, a such pack, such a, you know, you put it, I don't know how you put it, like we have a pack mentality. So, right. so is that something that we can do to make ourselves more happy to surround ourselves with the right people and be social? Uh, absolutely. I mean, that is the very key um, to, to happiness. Like, I'm glad that you brought it up because I was kind of skirting around it by the, oh, other focus. But having important and meaningful relationships in our lives is the number one predictor of happiness. Really? So mm -hmm. you're 
but I would imagine it would also lay um, that we'd want to be around the people that um, I want to say were happier, but people that weren't in that negativity spiral. Because people like to suck you into their their spiral. I mean, drama can't stand alone. I mean, they, right. they, they, they yeah, it doesn't exist. In, it doesn't exist in a vacuum. It's got to have other things around it, and it's like you know, it'll suck you in. So. I would think that you, you know, if you're already in a bad mood, you want to make sure that you would, or in a, a, a having a poor disposition, you wouldn't want to surround yourself with other people that are in the same boat. Right. No, that's a good point. And, and there is research that shows that happiness spreads through social networks over time. So happiness is, you know, quote unquote contagious. So yeah, definitely. I agree with your reasoning, but um, the flip side of that is, I guess, having somebody who's slightly negative would probably be better than having nobody at all. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah, I don't really have any other friends, so uh, I'm just going to hang around with this person here. Yeah, so I'll, I'll still talk to Debbie Downer. <laughs> <laughs> it's, my, it's it's my only it's my only it's my only relationship, so right. I, I don't want that one to go. Oh, it's so much fun talking to you today. You're so smart. Have so much oh. doing. You know, so <laughs> Thank let's go. Just a couple, uh, like, these are my core tips. Like, if I'm looking for more happiness in my life, what are the three things you're like, Chip, this is what you want to do, period. You know, these are things you want to do to be happier. Great. Yeah, let's see. Top, top ones, they all kind of have to do with relationships. But I would say definitely find ways to, A, notice the good things that are going on in your life. They're around you, but you're not always attuned to them. B, spend time to be grateful for those things. So that could be people um, or that could be, you know, expressing your journal about what you noticed throughout the day. And then the third thing would be actively do things for other people because that will contribute to their happiness but also yours. Yeah, so even though you might not think it's um, uh, you're doing it out of the goodness of your heart, it's also kind of self-serving. Right, exactly. And there's nothing wrong with that. No, there, no, there isn't. And there's this whole debate, is there ever any true altruism because you're always sort of getting something out of it? Mm -hmm. Well, I'm like, who cares? Like, do it for the right reasons maybe, but it, you'll also get some payback from it, and that's all right. Right. And this, for me, that with the church I belong to, I, I, I contribute with the community meal. So, I, you know, one, I get the social aspect, but two, I'm giving back and it gives me a lot back. So, it, it, so for my friends are like, oh, you make time for them? Like, yeah, it's awesome. It's like the best thing ever. It's so completely self-serving, but I have so much fun because I, I get like a complete, you know, jolt from it. So, um, well, I've really appreciated you, you know, taking some time out to share some thoughts with me today. If, if after today people want to find you, like they want to bring you in so, you know, you can share your huge brain to, you know, <laughs> you know, where do they go? Where can they find you? Oh, sure. Well, I have a, I have a website with my articles posted. Um, it's just kristinlayus.com. So K-R-I-S-T-I-N-L-A-Y-O-U-S. Awesome. Well, many much happiness to you my friend thanks for you know thank you time. and thank you for all the good questions it's been really fun oh it's a pleasure it's been mine this is laugh box <laughs> the podcast for laughter and humor professionals laugh box is made possible by a grant from the national speakers foundation and is brought to you by aath the association for applied and therapeutic humor find out more at aath.org be sure to review laugh box on itunes 
For show notes and more information about today's conversation, visit laughbox.aath.org.